Hello, and welcome to the Agape House of Worship weekly podcast. Through this podcast, we hope and pray that you will be equipped and empowered to live the life that God has planned for you. If you are blessed by this message and would like more information, please visit our website at www.agapehousenj.org. Thank you and God bless. I want you to turn you've been blessed so far, and I believe that God has something more for you. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, there is more. There is, more. There is much more. There is more. Amen. Amen. One thing about working with God, once, once you think you have a lot, God always tells you or makes you to realize there is more. Amen. Can we pray this morning? Father, we thank you. Uh, What a wonderful God you are. We thank you for your word. We thank you for speaking to us every time by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I ask you will speak this morning. Please open our hearts. Help us to be able to discern what you're saying. Give us a receptive heart. Help us to capture every single word that comes from you this morning. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, we have prayed. Amen. Amen. We decided to dedicate today's service to worship. Uh, So we're going to have some more time of worship. uh, Uh, And we'll be led by uh, the band that just led us. But I just want to give you you a few words on the subject of worship. And as I was thinking about this, one thing that just came to my mind was God's instruction to the children of Israel. You know, in the Bible, when Israel gathered together, they never really gathered together around listening to a sermon just like we know today. Typically, when we look at going to church, coming, the first thing that comes to our mind is we're going to church to hear a great sermon, uh, to hear a talk for the pastor to speak. But I discovered that it's very different. The emphasis when you go through the Old Testament especially was worship, was God's presence. Their gathering was around God's presence. It was to just focus on God's presence. If you look at Exodus chapter 13, the Bible says, by the day the Lord went ahead of them in the pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in the pillar of fire to give them light. And they could travel day and night. Even if you look at the construction of the tabernacle, it was built around the Holy of Holies, God's presence. That is to be the center That is to be the most guided place. That is to be the sacred place. That is to be the focal point. That everything that they did was focused around God's presence. Worship is to be the epicenter of what we do as believers. In Numbers chapter 9, verse 16 and 17, he further says, this is how it continued to be. The cloud covered it, 
and at night it looked like fire. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the Israelite set out. Wherever the cloud set to, the Israelite encamped. Right? So God's presence was the driving factor. I'm sure in the midst of those scriptures were reading, were read rather. I'm sure in the midst of those instructions were given on offerings, on the feast, on what needed to be done. But what is most prominent was God's presence. And I think that is really what even the New Testament Christianity is about. Even though we've kind of changed it quite a bit, there's a lot of talk, there's a lot of speaking. Uh, most of us come late even. We skip the time of worship. In our mind, that's just to fill the time until the preacher comes. All right, most people say, you know what? I just don't want to meet the time of the, miss the time of the world. You know, they just say, oh, yeah, if I get there, it starts at 10. I think he starts to speak around 10.45. If I make it 10.45, I made it to church. That's a very, very dangerous assumption. And that's very, very wrong. And I think I've shared this over and over again. Many of us are like that. This morning, we started with less than half of the people in time of worship. I think that is very disrespectful to God. You know, time of worship is so secret to him. It is to minister to him. It is to really make sure he is the epicenter of the service, not the speaker, not me. If you just come here to listen to me, I think you have a wrong focus. Guess what? I can't change life. I can't encourage. I can't do things that you think. It is the presence of God that makes a difference. There are a lot of people who can speak. There are a lot of great speakers. They're not even believers. They can take exactly what I'm talking about and say it. Maybe not mention the name of Jesus. They can do things, you know, they can speak motivational talk, say all kinds of stuff, and people are excited and people go. But nothing replaces the presence of God. What makes a difference in a service, in any church, in any life, is the presence of God. And corporate worship, uh, and I'm going to focus on a little bit on corporate worship, is really an expression of that. It is an expression. In fact, I see it as a creation of God's natural habitation. If you look at the scripture everywhere, God opened the eyes of people. Uh, Isaiah chapter 6 is probably one of the first ones or one of the prominent ones. When God opened the eyes of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, the Bible says in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. He saw the Lord in his natural habitation. You know how his presence is. And look at what the Bible says. He was sitting on the throne. So he is the center in heaven. Praise the name of Jesus. He's sitting on the throne high and lifted up. So the throne is lifted up so that nothing else is prominent, right? Nothing else is, is distracting. When you show up there, the first thing you see is the high and lifted up throne and God sitting on it. And the Bible says his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he, fa- he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one cried to one another, said, 
holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And, you know, it continues. If you go further, to go to the book of Revelation. Apostle John had the same experience. Revelation chapter 4. And if you go to Revelation chapter 19, you see as he began to write in, in the book of Revelation, he started to address the churches from chapter 1. He spoke to each of these seven churches. And at some point he get to chapter, uh, chapter 4, and he said, the Lord said, come up. So it was, you know, there was a change of venue. The Lord said, I want you to come up. And the Lord gave John a picture of what goes on in heaven. And he said in verse, uh, you know, chapter 1, after this, I look, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I heard first, I first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. I'm not going to read you, but I'm going to jump to verse 6. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in the front and in the back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third, like a face of a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. That's essentially a revelation of Jesus, you know, in four different ways. I'm going to really share that in future. You can see Jesus. Even if you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each of that is emphasizing that. There's a big revelation in those four things. Uh, hopefully, we get to share that in future. Amen. And he said, uh, each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Look at how exact was that. This is thousands of years later. Uh, John, I mean, Isaiah saw the revelation probably 2,000 before this time, 2,000 years before this time. Now John saw the same place. Exact same thing going on. Worship. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him, who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him, who sits on the throne and worship him, who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and said, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. So worship is a continuous thing in heaven. That is the natural habitation of God, an atmosphere of worship. So I've always believed that worship goes on no matter what. In fact, when we come together either as individuals, when we try to worship as individuals, and when we, or when we come together especially, we are just joining a worship that is already going on. Praise the name of Jesus. And I think the days we really experience God is the day we're in sync with what is going on in heaven. That's, that's, that's just, that's just my, that's what I, that's what I believe strongly. 
that we're joining the most, the perfect worship. That's what goes on in heaven. It's perfect. There's nothing you can take away. If it's not perfect, anybody that messes it up get thrown out. All right? God must create an environment that fits for him. Right? I mean, just, just like us. If you, if you travel, you go, to, go into an hotel, you, you might not like everything. You might not like the color. You might not like the way the place is arranged. You don't change that because it's temporary. Right? You stay a couple of days in the hotel and you go. But if you buy a house, right, you want it to reflect with what you love. You want the color to be the color you like, the carpet to be the carpet you like, the chairs to be the chair, the couch that you want. So God created for himself a a place of habitation. And that place of habitation is a place of worship. And that's why worship is very, very critical. So when we, come to get, when we come together, our churches all over the world, millions and millions of people, when we come together, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> and worship, in corporate worship, we're joining a service that is already going on. And that is why our prayer should be to be in sync, you know, to be able to join, to be able to just step in there and be able to just ease in by the help of the Holy Spirit into what is already going on. So our corporate worship creates the same atmosphere in heaven. Another way to look at it is this. That our corporate worship, we create the same atmosphere that is in heaven. Because when God sees that kind of atmosphere, he shows up there. Hallelujah. And the scripture is very clear about that. God inhabits right? The praises of his people. He doesn't just visit because the place all of a sudden looks familiar, right? Have you visited a place where somehow you feel comfortable because there's a familiarity? You know, if you walk into a church, for example, maybe it's your time of visiting the church, you know, you just saw it, you go in there and you walk in there, all of a sudden you met like five people that you went to high school together. You know, it's different. All of a sudden, you feel comfortable, right? You can join in the conversation. You can talk. You're excited. You leave the place, and you say, you know what? I felt comfortable, all right? I didn't feel like a stranger. I, you know, I just I felt I belonged there. But if you go into a place, you know nobody, all right? Maybe they don't speak your language, or maybe they don't look like. I mean, you just, you just try to go along. You go into the place you, you know, it's different. You know, when God sees true worship, he sees a place that is familiar with, that is familiar to him. He sees a place he can dwell. He sees a place he can inhabit. Praise the name of Jesus. So corporate worship creates the same atmosphere that is in heaven. And I believe that the more we can create that, the more we experience God. The more we worship in spirit and in truth, the more we experience God's presence, God's manifest presence. Praise the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, the scripture we read tells us the kind of worship that the Father is seeking. And that's important. That's important. 
in John chapter 4. Jesus said, Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Now, the discussion that going on here, Jesus, the Samaritans were considered half-Jews, historically. Over time, they intermarried, uh, you know, so they were kind of mixed group. Uh, you know, they intermarried with other, you know, other tribes. So the Israelites, the rest of the Israelites, always believed strongly that these were not pure Jewish people, you know, because they've intermarried over time. So they were looked down upon. So there was always a rivalry between the Samaritans and the rest of the Jews. If you notice a lot of the, even some of the Jesus' uh, uh, parable, we try to, when Jesus talk about Samaritans, talking about the Jews, he's trying to let, he's trying to talk about the people they look down upon. All right? So, but the Samaritan didn't see themselves as not part of the covenant. I mean, they traced their own heritage to Jacob, right? So they say, you know what? That's your problem. We are equally in the covenant as you guys. But the Jews said, no, you're not. So they were shut out. They were not permitted to go into the temple. They were not accepted into, you know, the, pre- the, the order of service or priesthood in Israel. So, so, this, so there were a lot of uh, tension. A Jewish person wouldn't really interact with a, with a Samaritan. So when Jesus met this woman, uh, so there was an underlining conversation that, 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 that they were carrying out here. And that's why the woman said, you know, you know, you, you know our father did this. This is where we worship. There was always a debate about where you go worship, where you meet God. The Jewish people believe you don't worship right. Where you go is not the right place. And the Samaritans said, no, we go to where our father Jacob told us to go. And there was always that discussion around that. But Jesus really said, you know, a time is coming. But he said, now is the time. So Jesus introduces here the new covenant kind of worship, right? The new covenant kind of worship is not about location per se, right? It is not about location. He said that time is now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. It's just about true worshipers. Either individually a true worshiper is worshiping or either collectively the true worshipers come together and they can come together in a bar. They can come together in a building built for themselves. They can come together in someone's house. You know, they can come together anywhere but the most important thing is not the location, all right? Turn to your neighbor and say, it's not about the location. It's about the location. Amen. It's about the people. It's about the heart of the people. It's about the heart of the people. And he said, true worshipers, we worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So he gives us three things here. Number one, it's about the people. Right? It's not about the location. So worship is not constrained to church uh, or to an environment. All right? But also, worship must be 
in spirit. The word translated spirit is pneuma. All right? It could mean heart. All right? It must come from the heart. It must be heartfelt. You know, Jesus said these people, you know, they, they, they worship me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And he said that kind of worship is vain. All right? So it's a true worship. I mean, the, the kind of worship the Father is looking for is something that comes from the heart. Something that is really heartfelt. He, he's not looking for dry worship. He's not looking for worship that is just lip service. He's not, worship, he's not looking for worship that is not an expression of our lives. Essentially, when we come together and we say those words, right? When we come and, you know, we should think about those words. They must be a reflection of our heart. It must be we have given him our heart, then we're expressing it as we worship together. It must come from the heart. But I think it's bigger than that. I, I also think it must be, uh, it must be, it must, our heart comes out through our emotion. It must be something we, we do from our emotion. I was sharing a few weeks ago, and I think I've shared before how I got saved. I got saved in a worship service. I grew up in church, grew up in a, you know, Baptist church, but I wasn't saved. I was just, you know, just go, you know, go through church, you know, attend the kids, Sunday school, but never really, really thought too much about it. That's just what you do if you get raised by Christian parents. You just go through, yeah, right? You just go through all that, all right? Now, I also grew up in a very conservative church where uh, they never even had praise and worship. You know, there's no worship. I mean, they would sing hymn, you know. Hymn, <clears throat> uh, you know, there'll be hymn, there'll be that. You know, nothing heartfelt, right? Even prayer wasn't supposed to be heartfelt. Uh, you know, when I was growing up, prayer was supposed to be so silent that the next person should not even know what you're talking about. They, mustn't, they must not hear you. If they hear you, then you're doing something wrong. So people, so we slept. That was a good time for kids to sleep. <laughs> right? Right? So it says you bow down your heads and pray, and you, we bowed down our head and slept <laughs> while the rest were. So this time I, I was invited to, I was my first year in college, I was invited to uh, a worship service. Now, it was a prayer meeting and worship. Nobody preached. There was no preaching. They were just gathering together to worship, and they prayed, and, they, and somebody invited me. A friend of mine who was a mentor actually forced me to come there. He's invited me for almost a year, you know, because I, he was my senior. Uh, he was, somebody was my senior in high school, so he was already at the college for three, four years. I met him there, so he invited me to the fellowship. You know, I, I said I would come. I wouldn't come. You invite me again. I mean, we, we went through the dance, you know, throughout the session. So these days, uh, you have to come. I'm, actually, I'm coming to your hostel to get you. To, you, know, to, you know, so we go. And I said, okay, this time, let me, just, let me just satisfy this guy one time and go. So I went there, and I saw worship. And there was maybe half an hour or 40 minutes of worship. For the first time, I saw people crying. I mean, I was, first of all, shocked. I didn't know someone can cry worshiping. I mean, that was like over singing a song. Some, I mean, 
Now it was like a it was like a sport arena, you know, you know, where we were just worshiping. And somebody was there was a column there. The guy standing beside me was holding a column, right? Just worshiping and crying, you know, from the bottom of his heart. And it was just, I love you, God. Whatever song they were singing, I didn't know many of the song, most of the songs. I mean, but I, you know, I could sing along, but it, mine wasn't heartfelt. And as the worship progressed, it became very clear to me that they knew what they were talking about, right? That their worship was heartfelt. Mine was just lips. I was just saying those things. I couldn't feel it the way they were feeling it. I couldn't express it genuinely. And at the end of the service, there was no altar call, you know, they dismissed the service, and I was going home. But something has happened as we went through the worship, the service. At some point, I felt like the odd one out. I look around, I saw that every, almost everyone I could see was genuine, was worshiping, was into it. I couldn't. All right? So I felt like I had a soiled clothes. You know how everybody's wearing white yours is soiled. Just, I, just, I just stood up. And I left that place and I said to myself, I think I have two choices. One is to never go to an environment like this again in my life. It was very uncomfortable, right? And I said, but you know what? Maybe I need to do something to also be able to feel it the way they felt it. And I'm glad I make the second choice. Amen. That's why I'm here today. No other call. No fill out a form. Nothing. Nobody really counseled me. I, went, I got to my room that day and I said, Jesus, I want to give my life to you completely. And from that day on, I have never looked back. Praise the name of Jesus. So it must be heartfelt. But also, it must be in truth. That's the second thing that Jesus said, right? Those who worship must worship in in the spirit and in truth. The truth of God's word. And I think both of them, they actually feed each other. See? The more truth that you know, the more you can worship. The more your worship can be heartfelt. You see, the more you understand redemption, for example, what Jesus did for you. I mean, the only response you have is worship. You see, the only true response. I mean, and I, when I, I love to read the epistles. I love to read the epistles. I love to just, I see that. The only response that follows a revelation of God is worship. Each time God opens your eyes to see what Jesus has done, right? How he offered himself. How all of a sudden we are accepted in the beloved. How what the grace of God means to us. You know, the promise of eternity. You know, how... You know, Jesus just paid the price. You know, the authority that we have in Christ Jesus, how the wages of sin is death, 
But the gift of God is eternal life. The only response that you have is worship. It's just to say, oh God, I thank you. And that's why in Ephesians chapter 1, Apostle Paul will start by saying, for this reason, I bow my knees unto the Father. You know, because of what Jesus did. And that's why I love contemporary Christian worship, and I've said it, music, because the emphasis is really on the truth of the word of God. All right? The emphasis in just what the truth of God's word. And I sigh, as I, as I worship and I just, those words just, they go through, you know, they just go on and on in my mind and I can just go on and worship. Praise the name of Jesus. And pr- praise God for, you know, people who wrote those songs. Uh, and praise God for people that God continues to use, you know, over and over, over and over to, to, to bring those songs and those songs are literally from the pages of the scripture. If you're a good Bible reader. Or just expressing, you know, the thought of God from the scripture. And that's important. Very, very important. So it must be based on truth. Worship shouldn't just be sensation. All right? You know, even though it must be heartfelt, but it must be heartfelt based on the truth of the word of God. That's why a true worshiper must have an understanding of the word of God. Amen. I'm praying that our worship, God will use this service to take our worship to, a, to another level. Now, I'll, I'll start by saying when you create an atmosphere that God feels comfortable, you see, all of a sudden, you don't need much prayers for God to do something. You see, there, you see, there is the deliverance that God does because we ask him, right? We plead, we ask, and he shows up, you know, you know, the Bible talks about God's hand and God's face, right? Because we just say, you know, he stretches his hand and he does something. You see, but there's a deliverance that happens because he's present. Right? There, there are victories you earn, you have, because, you see, when God is present, you know sicknesses won't stay there. Depression won't stay there, right? Defeat won't, you know, won't be there for long because God's manifest presence is there. And that's why worship is important. That's why worship is important. It introduces God's presence. God just doesn't visit, right, the praises of his people. What does he do? He inhabits. Now, what inhabiting means is God has to change our environment. We are not just an hotel room that God visits, right? This is not just because if you go to an hotel room, you don't change your hotel room. You know you're living in a few days. But if a place becomes where you inhabit, you change it. Even as an individual, if worship becomes your lifestyle, God comes in. He changes things. Is it, that's why prayer gets answered before they are prayed. Right? Because God must make 
his life comfortable. Right? Demons can stay where he stays. Praise the name of Jesus. Can we just lift our hands and just worship him? Lord, we just thank you. Lord, we just thank you. We honor you. What a wonderful God you are. Father, I'm asking now that you will raise worshipers in this place. Father, you will raise worshipers out of this place. The Bible says you are seeking. That means there are not not many of them. If the Bible says the Lord is seeking, I want you to say, Lord, I want to be that person. Can 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 we just stand up and just say, Lord, when you are seeking for worshipers, I want to be one of them. Can we just tell him, let's tell him, Lord, please raise me. Make me a worshiper. Help me to worship you in spirit and in truth. Hallelujah. And if you're here, maybe you haven't really surrendered your life to Jesus. You know, worship is impossible for someone that is not totally surrendered. The good thing is you can be like me today. Many years ago, right? I shared my experience 25 years ago. You can be like that. You can, you don't have to leave this place and say, I will never go there again. No, you can make the second decision that I want to experience worship the way they experience worship. And if that is your decision today, I'd like you to just put your hands on your chest. I'd like to pray for you. Just say, Jesus, I thank you. I surrender my life to you today. I confess with my mouth that you died for me, that you were buried, and you rose the third day because of me. Today I accept that offering, and I give you my life in an exchange. Come and transform me and change me and give me the gift of eternal life. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we put our hands together and give him praise? Hallelujah.